Right. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this new podcast. So this one's going to be a slightly different podcast, definitely more conversation based. And the topic of the podcast is on how an abundant amount of marketing resources might actually hinder innovation among family firms. And this is actually a piece of research that I did with uh, my former PhD student, Chilin Hu, who joins us. Hi, Chilin. Hi, hi, Matt. Thank you for holding such podcast. This is my first experience of doing such interviews on oh. the podcast. Well, I'll so, be gentle. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a short introduction of myself. It's, uh, it's uh, my name is Chilin, and I'm currently a lecturer in innovation uh, and strategy mm -hmm. uh, in school business um, business and economics in Loughborough University. Cool. So I research good to have you there, it. by the way. It's really good to have you here. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. No, no problem. I mean, we were supposed to be joined by our third co-author, which is my twin brother, Paul, but he's yeah, got naval on this. So <laughs> <laughs> Paul doesn't get anything out of this. <laughs> but anyways, no, I mean, chilling. It's, it's awesome to have, have you on the podcast, but also just to, it's actually nice to be able to talk about the work we've done together and also yeah. because... You know, just for the benefit of everybody listening, we've actually got an article in this on familybusiness.org. It's a practitioner article. It's full of tips and advice and hints that we wanted to provide from our research to family business owners, family business managers, and, you know, help them learn more about, you know, marketing resources, their own family unique resources and, and the idea of innovation because, you know, family firms they do innovate and they sometimes they innovate incredibly so, but also a lot of family firms don't innovate as, as much as other organizations, but if they do, they tend to often focus on the safe, secure product features, product quality, cost types of innovations. And, you know, that's, that is good up to a point, but there comes another occasion when you need to innovate more radically. We need to create really new products, new services, things that are different, challenge what's in the marketplace. And, that's what we, we've been interested in this for years. I mean, you know, you did your PhD on family firm innovation and, you know, we've been trying to unlock that black box, so to speak, of, of when do family firms make the choice to concentrate on more radical breakthrough, big, big picture innovations and not just small gradual improvements. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about our recent work, the one on, on the, how an abundance of marketing resources can actually stifle innovation among family firms and then we're going to identify how we fix that so you know that's going to be the the topic today so Kellen, thanks for joining and thanks for giving me your time but also sharing your research because you're the star of the show here this is from your work so yeah thank you thank you Matt. so well what i can say so i, I totally agree that family firms are different so even though we before we have large farm firms and um, small and um, small and medium-sized farm firms, but even within the small and medium-sized farm firms, they are different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of them they could be innovate very innovative. Some of them could be really like conservative. Mm -hmm. So we've we've found those kind of marketing resources, which I just find is very uh, interesting. For example, the market knowledge, the um, their reputation. And the so um, re, uh, relational resources and also technological resources, mm -hmm. and um, actually read it from um, the Morgan's paper from the marketing area, mm -hmm. 
and it was a really interesting argument in terms of that is is about once you are evolving into business right mm -hmm. so you're getting to invest in these kind of um, marketing resources because think about it you need to have a knowledge that you could deal with the competition within the market mm -hmm. and also you need to have a certain reputation to mm -hmm. attract customers mm -hmm. and also you need some several um relations with your suppliers uh, with, with, your, uh, with 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 some other channel like channel customers. channel partners customers yeah partners. yeah those kind of technologies so so it's basically um we're treating this one as a kind of like a kind of assets mm -hmm. of the family firms mm -hmm. exactly. so um yeah, so well, for those, um, I mean, for those interested, I'll, I'll, I'll expand on what you just said, actually. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's, it, it's important because we, we, for years, we've known about how the idea of investing in resources should yeah. create profitable advantages. And, and it yeah. almost sounds like it's a bit of a tautology. It sounds like, well, of course it will. If we, if we invest mm. in resources, then surely they will give us a productive advantages and competitive advantages. But the reality is actually, well, no, because if that was the case, then we, what happens when we end up with rigidities? What happens when we over-rely on specific resources and not upgrade and improve what we have and evolve the resource space of the firm? Now, something like a marketing resource is, you know, you, somebody would intuitively think, well, it's, it's pretty dynamic, isn't it? Because we collect yeah. more market knowledge we grow what we understand about our customer. And I wouldn't dispute that, but I think the problem is that often what happens when growing marketing resources mm. is that you accumulate much of the same knowledge on the same yeah. markets. And so what it does then is it transfixes you into focusing on what do we understand about our current customer? What do we understand about our current market as it's shaped at yeah. the expense of understanding adjacent markets and maybe entirely mm -hmm. different markets that might be gradually closing into ours, maybe even making ours obsolete or could, you know, replace our market down mm -hmm. the line. And, you know, just in the last 20 years, we've seen this with almost every technological advancement, how it has pushed out a previously established market that we thought, you know, it's there and it's there to stay. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's tempting to say that, well, if we build lots of resources, we're going to be a much stronger, better firm. But actually, that's not really the case because resources can make us complacent. They can blind us to opportunity. And I think that's something, you know, that, that was one of our inspirations for this study, yes. that's for sure. And because we started to see this among businesses and specifically among family business. So, mm. Yeah. So and yeah. So I, I totally uh, agree. So once you engage with the marketing resources, you create you create a stable um, frame of your mm. organization. So basically, it's really hard for firms to jump out of the box. Yeah. So Absolutely. Some, yeah. Yeah. So you might think about investment into the technological resources, which is one of the marketing resources that will bring to engage more innovative um activities but actually not because you create a frame or could create a cage that cage yourself yeah. to yeah. jump out of the box and so it's almost like path dependence isn't it because yeah you, know, you become the more you invest in your current market resources and those market resources will inevitably be tied to what your business has been doing 
and its yeah. existing products and services. So you, the more you'll become wedded to that. And I mean, with that in mind, maybe I'll just explain you know, some of the, the mechanics of this and, and, and how, yeah. how we found that it works. So, so for everybody listening, what, what we were interested in was something called the attention-based view of the firm, which sounds a bit complex, but really the, what the attention-based view is, is what is it, what factors actually drive managers be they family owners, family managers, even employees, to direct their attention towards a specific thing or a specific course of action. And I, re- I remember two, when two papers, one I wrote, so I should remember it. <laughs> the other one is De Bruyne et al. 2010, which I absolutely love as a, as, as a piece of research and as a paper and as a study, because they found that those firms with greater stocks, larger stocks of marketing, technological, and financial resources, firms with greater stocks of those resources became complacent. They had the belief that they had enough resources that should a competitor innovate, that they will be able to react. And those greater resources also made them complacent to believe that even if they did innovate, that they wouldn't be very successful, that, you know, that the company could defend against it. And so De Bruyne's study, I absolutely adore because it's one of those first warning flags that says, hey, you might be resource rich and you might have really great marketing resources, loads of market knowledge, some great channel relationships and distribution relationships and supplier relationships, and even a great brand. But in doing so, it can make you complacent from innovating and also make you complacent from fearing the innovation of your rivals. And so that's one bit that really drove our interest. And the other one is my own work with Kyriakos Kyriakopoulos and also my brother again, Paul, in 2016, where we found that, well, if you had more market knowledge resources, as a business, you'd be less willing to innovate radically because you're constrained by your way of thinking. If you have extensive market knowledge, all you really understand is your existing markets and your existing customer. And so you see new events in the world, but you apply old ways of thinking or you fear that it might affect your organization. So it it creates like this defense. Equally, we found that those firms with strong brand assets were equally unwilling to radically innovate because they did not want to jeopardize their reputation. They didn't want to put that at risk. Now in a family firm, that goes a step further because the business reputation is often tied to the family reputation and therefore that could create even more of a conservative risk avoidance approach. The one thing that we did find helpful in the 2016 study was relational resources. The more relational resources you got, you can get new bits of information from customers, unrelated customers, from channel partners, from distributors, from suppliers, and that can stimulate it. So I think, you know, with that backdrop, you know, when, when, when you and I started to work together, we started to ask ourselves, well, what happens when we look at the family business? Because the family business is really different to your tradition, your typical private enterprise. And I say typical and traditional, but the reality is the vast majority of firms are family firms. So, you know, I, I, I'm using those words only because it's almost like the norm to do so. But, I, you know, the reality is we need to know what this means for the family firm. 
and family firms have their own unique resources. So, Kilin, maybe you can say a little bit about family unique resources and how these might change things. Yeah, so Mbasa um, said is right. So once you have marketing resources, it's actually decreased the willingness of family owners to engage more radical innovation. So that is actually true. So for the, but the, but what is interesting in our study, because we found the family uh, unique resources, which derives from the study of sermon and, and hate in a theoretical um, based kind of concepts in terms of family resources. So we actually pick up two of them. It's like very typical. Those are family patient capital and family social capital. And we're very lucky that we um, code the family patient capital design. So we actually create the kind of measure. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. So even if I spend a lot of time on that, but we, we, um, it's, we, we can see the success. So yeah. family patient capital is that those kind of money you get from your family members. Mm -hmm. So those can be the monies with no dates to, to return. Yeah. So it's actually released the pressure of um, the financial problem if, if they, um, especially those SMEs they could have. Mm -hmm. So once you have the money, you are more willing to investigate some, some risky stuff um, so I would say that's more risk taken. Yeah. So I think um, the, the, the interesting thing about patient capital for me is, as you say, it takes away the time issue. So most yeah. of the time when you, if you bring in investors or if you get a bank loan or any other kind of entrepreneurial financing, then most of the time it comes with, you know, there's a duration to it. You know, there has to be paid back by a certain time. So it tends to focus the mind on, on using it for you know, efficiency driven purposes or for incrementally innovating because it allows you to you know upgrade what you're already doing and you know there's a more certain return there's 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 um there's a much less risk to it but with patient capital because there is no time horizon to it well there is a longer term time horizon and the investment return is different then it encourages risk taking it encourages a longer term vision of innovation and so it can help the family business or family managers loosen the reins around innovation and so I, I yeah absolutely it's a very different financial asset pool than for typical traditional or say entrepreneurs or firms yeah and the and luckily this one is in line with this study which is done sermon and and heat is that mm -hmm. so once you have this kind of money that you could have a longer investment and Horizon and this one is the same with strikes and it's our two, 2015 study. So yeah. we're actually lucky to have papers to to back up our arguments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the other one is family um, social capital. Mm -hmm. So it's actually to investigate so how how closely those family members are worked together. For example, they have reciprocal favors to do mm -hmm. so used to return. Um, mm -hmm. So they actually generate the kind of power that we would call a family power that they could let some decision-making more effective yeah. than used to be. Yeah. So once, once you have that, because the family social capital make the family firm more productive than used to be. Mm -hmm. So once you have such efficiency, so that will help um, release the kind of tension put down the kind of radical changes from mm -hmm. the, um, the radical innovation. 
So, so once you have that, the family owners will, will have more, could be more willing to engage yeah. with our innovation. I mean, what, uh, where so family, that is another highlight for me. For me, where family social capital is really interesting is because it's yeah. a unique asset to a family business. Yeah. Another business cannot copy family social capital because it's those high quality bonds trustful bonds between family members inside the business and you know there's a there's a great study by my good friend uh, Inez Herrero who that who found that she tested can a non-family firm duplicate this type of resource uh, family social capital and the answer is no no they can't at best yeah. they can make a crude facsimile but they, they can't synthesize something that replaces family social capital. And I think what's really interesting about family social capital is that you know, it's, it's highly trustful bonds. Reciprocation is a given in the sense that you, know, you ask for a favor, the family will almost be obliged to support that. Or if you, know, you, you ask them to involve in the business or help, they will do so because of family obligation. So there is no expectation of reciprocity that there would be if we were creating business ties, you know, and I would need to invest time, money and effort into that. But it's different with family yeah. social capital. And equally, there's, there's a common family language. And, you know, it doesn't just take place in the workplace. It's over the kitchen table or it's in the lounge or our family gatherings. You know, that the opportunities to create it are vast. And... As you're saying, you know, what studies have found is, well, if the more family social capital you got, then it'll help the family business to better combine knowledge, you know, knowledge recombination. So if you get different ideas, then the more family social capital is, the better the family will be at absorbing that and being able to transform it, to use it to its yeah. advantage. So in that sense, I think what you and I realized is that where, where greater stocks of marketing resources can diminish radical innovation because they put all the focus on existing products and markets exactly. and services yeah these family resources can actually change that by by opening the or by changing the horizon of the family business to make them yeah. think more long term you know to have access to long term patient capital to have access to these kind of internal family business relationships that can aid them to share ideas act on ideas yeah combine knowledge and therefore help the innovation process yeah so uh, so family res unique resources is it's like it's like cushioning those yeah those risk, yeah risk taking mm -hmm. so it's like so once you have those strong family unique resources so th those will back up your risk taking uh, activities mm -hmm. so it's actually makes sense yeah, because I mean, um, I, I like the points about cushioning. Uh, I think that that's, that's a really interesting <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you, view of it. I mean, it, it's interesting because you know when when we first started this study, yeah. there is not a huge amount of research into marketing resources as a specific type of resource and how it affects family firm behavior. And the, the majority yeah. of the studies, led by some awesome colleagues like Isa Botero and Claudia Astrachan. Yep. That research has often looked at brands and brand resources and yes. the family as a brand. And that, that's cool. But I think, you know, what we knew from looking at the marketing field and some of the broader research is we realized, well, we need to, we know we need to open the, the scope. We need to look at the bigger picture yep. of marketing resources and just ask what might happen for other types of strategic decisions. And 
in terms of the study itself, um, if you're happy, I'll quickly summarize. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, the, so the data <laughs> was collected in China. It was collected from family firms there. It was collected at two different points in time with two respondents per firm. So we can be really confident in the validity and reliability of the data. And what we found was as we were concerned, marketing resources for the family business, the, the larger the, they are, the more they have, then it does indeed reduce the willingness to, to innovate in truly new ways. So that confirmed our worry and it confirmed our, our suspicion. So, you know, on the one hand, that is that makes you think, well, you know, we, we should be channeling our investments elsewhere. And, you know, maybe we should not focus too much on overly building our marketing resources. But I think that at that point, we can put the brakes on a little bit and say, well, actually, no, because what we found is that those family businesses that had more family patient capital and more family social capital could actually gain the benefits of their marketing resources and would then be able to innovate more. And the other reason why I would hesitate from advising people to not invest in their marketing resources is because prior studies, my own in particular in 2016, found that marketing resources can be really handy when you want to commercialize that innovation. So I think what we observe here is a difference between how marketing resources might diminish the willingness to innovate, but actually help later in commercialization. And where family, family resources is, comes in is to help that ability to, to radically innovate, you know, by changing the time horizon, by providing the financial, a secure financial basis, by providing the relationships inside the business that will power through, you know, the ideation, the innovating process. So for, I think for us, it's, you know, we, we, want, we need to help people understand that it's a case of, okay, let's not just reduce investments in marketing resources. It's more to understand their limits, and when they might be helpful and what else you need in this like recipe to get the most out of it. And what we're saying is you need to look at your family unique resources because that puts you in a really advantageous position to be able to make the best use of your marketing resources. Yeah, in which I totally agree. And it uh, was like uh, one of the adaptive that. Um, to um, so one of the uh, one of the activities we've done in your model to back up our theory is that we also involve in environmental dynamism as mm. a one of the moderator. So because we use that to prove our theory is right because um, the moderation is actually positive. Mm -hmm. So which means the more dynamic of the environment, the um, the family will be more willing to engage with radical innovation and which is true and being yeah. mm -hmm. um, approved by many other previous studies. Mm -hmm. So so again, the, in the more dynamic environments, investing in your marketing resources is actually yeah. a good thing. So that, that's yeah. why I think it's really interesting to just help managers out there and help scholars as well, but also certainly family owners, family managers, advisors and scholars to, to just think, well, Resources have attention guiding properties. You know, you build and invest in resources, they will steer your thinking, they will steer your behavior. You know, they, they attach to existing products and services, they attach to existing markets. Or if you have a strong brand, it can be, you know, it can be difficult for a firm to make the choice 
to invest in something risky that may come back and backfire on the brand. So it's fully understandable then why resources can steer attention. By the same token, other resources can help assuage that and help you know, encourage an innovation strategy. Now, listeners might be thinking, well, okay, so it, it encourages this type of innovation strategy, but why does that matter? Well, it's because innovation is the lifeblood of firms. You know, if you, if you all you do is incrementally innovate, you're going to be on a downward spiral at some point because you're just catching up with your competitors and adding new features, but you're vulnerable to being obsoleted by the actions of innovators and competitors and entrepreneurial new entrants. So that's why it matters. So I hope um, that might be a good way to end this message. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's uh, really good. And also, um, yeah, so we actually pro provide some like the... Um, some uh, ideas for, for the future studies. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the good calls is, is that from Mars, they just said is the commercialization. So maybe mm -hmm. in the few future studies could, could look something about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so um, people may ask why don't, don't we just put those kind of marketing resources individually mm -hmm. uh, look into that because um, because we were, were, were thinking that because we use the resource-based theory, mm -hmm. uh, resource-based view, so look at those marketing resources as a kind of bundle yeah, um, yeah. to the yeah. kind of willingness. I think, I think the good question would be, you know, if, if this happens with marketing resources and, and these family unique resources, what else will it happen with? You know, so we really, I think yeah. we, we're, we're only at the, you know, the very beginning of understanding how resources mm -hmm. shape and guide attention and, and behavior. So we know that firms use resources to achieve certain outcomes, but how does it steer, inform, and maybe constrain or encourage particular behaviors is such a black box. So for everybody listening, I hope that encourages you guys to you know, either go research it or as a business, start auditing your resources and start asking yourselves, hey, are we blind allying ourselves by, by not realizing our own constraints? So I think I'll call it there. So Killian, thank you so much for joining us. It's been brilliant, as, as hopefully <laughs> fun for you as it was for me. And see you everybody in the next podcast. Thank you.